Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. I'm Trisden. And I'm Ray. What we hope to do here is find a little bit of middle ground on some of these extremely polarizing social and political issues. Welcome everybody to Extreme Common Sense. What's up, Ray? How's it going? Hey, Tristan, how are you? Good, man. So pretty special show today. We probably should get right to it. Let's do it. Yeah, I like it. So today, our guest is John Brennan from uh, Real World LA, country music artist, uh, national performing artist. Very excited to have him on the show today. John, how's it going? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. So, John, first of all, I'd like to hear a little bit about uh, I Ain't Done Singing Yet. Well, you know, uh, 30 years ago, I was uh, on The Real World on MTV, and I was cast on there because I'm a country music singer. That's the reason. This is before reality TV was a thing, so nobody really knew what it was. And in 1992, if you think back, if you're old enough to remember, country music had taken over the not just the music scene, but the whole entertainment scene. And they decided they wanted a country music singer, somebody that had not made it um, for their show. And they had done one other season in, in, in New York. So uh, we were the second guinea pigs. And I hadn't seen the show or heard of it or anything. And so um, anyway, they came and found me. And I was 18 years old. I got cast onto the real world. So that was 30 years ago this week, almost. Well, actually, last week, it was exactly 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, that's another wow. whole chapter and story that we could talk about for a long time but what happened was about two years ago is they they called me they did something i knew it was going to happen one day they called me and they went they wanted to do a reunion i thought well 28 and a half years is an odd time to do a reunion but um really it ended up being 29 years almost 30 and i was in the shower in alabama where i was living at the time i'm from kentucky but uh I'm living in Alabama the last many, many years, and I was in the shower, and I was thinking about this reunion they'd called us to do, and I said to myself, um, you know what, you, you ain't done singing. Use this reunion uh, and this publicity and the spotlight you're about to get all over again to put yourself back out there as a music, musical artist because, you know, I had given up. I had stopped singing country music, and uh, I was really uh, kind of down about it and just had a lot of regret in my soul about having given up on a dream, honestly. And, um, you know, there was a point where I was opening for Alabama. I had, I had Winona Judd's manager. I was signed on Capitol records and all that was in the nineties, um, after the real world. And, and it all really just fell apart. And I could talk to you about all the reasons why, but it fell apart really, really, really quickly. And I just thought, well, I'll regroup and get it going again. And I just, I just never really did fall together again. And so, I ended up doing a lot of ministry work and working at churches and doing youth ministry for teenagers and doing mission work in um, in Africa and doing a lot of things that were awesome. And I loved every minute of it, but um, I wasn't doing country music. And it's really what I felt like I was born to do. So there was this there was this this lack. There was this emptiness and there was this um, regret. I don't have a better word for it. And I was literally standing in the shower thinking about, oh, my goodness, they're going to do this crazy reunion for this reality show I was on three decades ago with those crazy people. And uh, this is a good chance to do it all over again. So 
And I just asked myself the question. I do a lot of praying and singing in the shower, by the way. And I just was like, I asked myself, I said, uh, are you, are you done? Are you done singing? And I, I, I got like, like uh, angry with myself. And I was like, no, man, you ain't done singing yet. Go for it. And so I thought, well, I need a comeback song and I guess I'm going to write it. I ain't done singing yet. And, and uh, I wrote it. It's <laughs> awesome. So I know that was kind of a thing, at least on the real world, you weren't yet into writing, right? As much as performing. So I guess you did yeah. eventually develop the writing bug. Yeah, and it was kind of unintentional. I mean, I, when I was 18 years old on The Real World, I didn't have a lot to write about. I was I was really uh, a great performer, honestly. I feel really at home on the stage and in, in front of a live crowd, and that was second nature to me. But um, you know, sitting in a in a in a candlelit room with uh, you know scented uh, flavored coffee and scented candles and you know, trying to be artsy with writing a song just didn't appeal to me. And I'm like, right. you know, everybody in Nashville, hey, let's get together and write a song. I'm like, well, I'm more of a singer and I'm less eccentric than that. You know, and it just uh, I didn't have a lot to say, to be honest. And then, um, uh, yeah, all of a sudden I started having all these ideas and I ain't done singing yet being one, which isn't good grammar. And I, I try to use good grammar, but <laughs> I figure in country music, you can, you can get away with ain'ts. And um Indeed. You're safe and in so, Kentucky with that. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I just, I had the idea, and I actually didn't feel confident enough to write it myself. So this is this is a funny side story. One day I got this direct message in my Instagram inbox. Uh, it's a private message. I said, hey, man, I'm a big fan of the show. I'm a big fan of you for all these years. And um, i just been seeing a lot of this press about all of these reunion and all of these OG shows that are coming out for all the – mtv reality shows i just wondered if you were going to be part of any of them and i look at who sent it and it's a verified checked account and i said is this is this shooter jennings he goes yeah man i'm a big fan of yours i'm like okay i gotta tell you something i gotta tell you something right now i sing country music because my father loved your father's music and both my father and his father dead at the time i mean this was only like maybe two years ago and he said, yeah. man, that's awesome. And I said, dude, I, I, I want to come through Nashville and I want to come back to Nashville. And can we connect? Can we hang out? And can we be friends? And he's like, dude, we're already friends. But uh, he said, I, I grew up in Nashville. I actually don't like it there. I, I moved to L.A. So when you come to L.A., you know, look me up. I'm like, dude, I never come to L.A. ever. Like, it's expensive. I don't I don't go to L.A. And that's where I had done the real world. So I had spent some time in L.A. And then. You know, they, they finalized the reunion, and I called him. I said, guess who's coming to L.A. for a real-world reunion? By the way, I don't want to fly with my Gibson guitar. Do you have one I can borrow? He said, yeah, you can use my Gibson. And so there I am on the real world, the guitar I'm playing, the, the homecoming reunion, is Shooter Jennings' guitar, and he's become a good, good friend. So Shooter, so cool. uh, he connected me with one of his friends in, in Nashville named Aaron Raytier, who uh, actually by chance is from Danville, Kentucky. And uh, nice. and and he's a Grammy award-winning songwriter. He wrote a song for the movie "The Star A Star Is Born" with Lady Gaga. Yeah, and uh, he won a Grammy. So uh, you know, I, Shooter hooked me up with a Grammy award-winning uh, songwriter in Nashville from Danville, Kentucky, Aaron Raytier, and we co-wrote uh, together. I ain't done singing yet. That's awesome, and it's a great song. And where can folks, obviously, hopefully on uh, local radio soon, but if they want to take a listen right now, where do you recommend they, they hear it? 
it's everywhere. It's it's on Spotify. It's on Pandora. It's on Napster. Remember Napster? It's literally everywhere. It's on YouTube. It's on my website, johnbrennan.com. It's on Apple Music. It's on uh, app, iTunes. It's everywhere that there is music. And uh, it's actually at Country Radio right now. It's it's like 120 on the charts, but it's only been delivered for about three weeks. So that's actually not a bad start for an independent artist. And uh, it's uh, you know hopefully going to be all over the airwaves soon and, and hopefully uh, hit record for me. It, it it sounds like it will be. I mean, you just have a nose for those things, and when you hear a good song, you hear a good song. And if uh, if uh, the world turns the way I feel like it does, it, it's definitely going to skyrocket up a lot of uh, a lot of the charts. So you also got to perform that on uh, for New Year, right? On the the big Fox and Friends show. Yeah. So uh, Fox and Friends, I've been on twice now. Uh, on Fox and Friends weekends, they have a different set of hosts than throughout the week. And on the weekends, Rachel Campos Duffy is a very good friend. She was on the Real World season right after mine. She was on the San Francisco nice. show. And now she's an anchor for Fox and Friends on Fox News. And, and so she, uh, she got me on the Wild Horse show on New Year's Eve. And it was, you know, awesome because, uh, you know, Fox and Friends is, is a, lot of, uh, a lot of viewers and a lot of publicity. And being at the Wild Horse on New Year's Eve was, was totally awesome. So... You know, I got to do, I'm getting to do a lot of really, really cool things. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of back in the spotlight again as being, you know, a singer. And my goal is that people will quit saying, Hey, are you guys, are you the guy that was on the real world 30 years ago? And they'll say, Hey, are you the guy that sings that song that I, that I ain't done singing yet? And I'm like, yeah, actually. And, you know, that's the type of song. I'm glad you, you like it because I like songs with a lot of energy and a lot of fiddle and a lot of steel guitar that yeah. particular song actually has some banjo in it just in the background. And, you know, you don't hear those country instruments on country radio a lot. You know, you got a lot of electronic poppy sound in country, which, you know, is kind of the trend right now. But I miss those those country sound and instruments and, you know, a song with some some tempo and drive. So that's a song that I would turn up if it came on the radio. Not just because it's mine. But I'd be like, ooh, that song rocks. Turn it up, you know. Absolutely. You know what we we for the longest time and and Ray could attest to this in radio. Well, you'll walk in sometimes in your morning show hosts. You know these are the guys getting you ready for work and you know getting it all going and they're in some kind of old slow something. It's like guys, what are you doing? This is the morning drive. You got to play exactly. I ain't done singing yet. That's what people want to wake up to and get to work and get their day yeah. started with. So yeah, some of that you know that that old school Garth Brooks that you know really good upbeat uh upbeat stuff for sure so what did john what did you learn you know the first time around in your uh in your real world fame that that you're taking with you now in this sort of second chance in your career well it sounds very cliche but um you know the truth of the matter is uh being on a reality show especially back 30 years ago when it wasn't so uh i don't know contrived rehearsed planned out i don't know what you want to call it reality tv today is not really really total reality it's not exactly the way it was back when i did the real world in 1993 it was turn the cameras on and whatever happens happens and whatever the camera gets the camera gets it's not really that way anymore and so they're calling it's kind of like country music has changed um reality tv has changed it's just morphed and uh you know what i've learned is that um you know, number one, it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to learn about people that are nothing like you. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 
my next single is going to be called Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky. It's on my EP. But um, that's where I've spent my, my last 30, 40 years of life, you know, right here in, in, in the South. And so, I mean, today I'm in Nashville. But, you know, when you take me and you throw me out to Los Angeles, I'm a fish out of water. And so, you know, I was as unique and different to, the, to those people as they were to me. And you end up just learning a lot about people that are nothing like you. And you, you end up learning a lot about how people see you. And uh, what if you don't like the way people see you, you have the opportunity to change um, what your impression is to other people. And uh, when you're one of seven people that's on a very, very popular show, which MTV was a very, very popular network in the 90s, I tell the teenagers I work with, hey, I used to be on MTV. And they're like, what is that? That's not even cool anymore. I'm like... It used to be cool, uh, but, you know, Dude. we we had a lot of influence. We uh, we had a lot of uh, influence on, on culture, and, and our, our opinions were thrown out there, and they mattered, and, and we represented a demographic. I mean, I represented Kentuckians, and I represented wholesome church-going people from the South. I mean, I just did. That's who I was. That's who I am, and none of my roommates were anything like that, and so— they represented other demographics and it was a, it was a lab rat experience. I mean, we experimented even, and we learned a lot about each other and we learned a lot about ourselves and we learned a lot about the world. That's awesome. And you sort of get that feeling. Like I did revisit a couple of the episodes here uh, in honor of your coming on and you definitely did get the feeling that it was not like a lot of newer reality shows where it is just, you know, we're going to create this situation and we're going to throw you in it very specifically to have this specific argument. It did feel very real, which was which was very cool to, to watch and refreshing, honestly. So yeah. how did how did you land that? Like, what was the process of of ending up on the real world for you? Well, uh, I actually did not apply. They go to college campuses and they go to big cities and, and they have, you know, application lines, thousands of people deep. They wanted a country music singer. They they wanted somebody from the South. They came to Nashville looking for John Brennan. I mean, they came, and when they saw me downtown Nashville, of course, I had my boots and my hat, and I'm downtown trying to, you know, I was a freshman at college in at Belmont University, and, nice. you know, I thought, uh, yeah. And they said, hey, you you, uh, you want to apply to be on The Real World? It's this show on MTV. Surely you've seen it. I'm like, no, I hadn't seen it. They described the show and said, yeah, we... We just did one in New York. Everybody lives in this house together, and they're from all different backgrounds. And so um, would you like to move to Los Angeles and be on MTV? And I'm like, no. Like 0% of me thinks and, – and, and the guy kept following. He's like, dude, you're perfect. We need a southern person. We just had – the last one was this girl from Alabama. We need a, a guy from the south. We're looking for a country music singer. I'm like, D go find one. There's a billion. Look, there's one. And, and uh, I was just so disinterested. And I was, I was like, dude, he kept following. He's a nice guy. So we were taught I was not being a jerk. I was just, you know, telling him how uninterested I was. And, and I'm stubborn. I mean, if you watch the show, you know I'm stubborn. And so he was like, dude, you are so perfect. Like, look, I got I to gotta be honest with you, man. This show that you're describing, it sounds really stupid. And, and <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be a hit. I don't think this genre of me of, of television you're talking about is even going to last. And now it's, now it's, you know, that's all that there is. But, and, and it's so wild. I got to be, I, I, rec I recorded a John Conley song 
on my EP called I'm Only In It For The Love. It was a ni- 1984 or 1983 number one hit for John Conley, who's a Kentuckian, by the way. And uh, he's from Versailles, Kentucky, and Grand Ole Opry legend. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Kix Brooks actually co-wrote the song, but I've always loved it. And I, co- I, I remade it, and John Conley heard it. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, this guy opened up for me because he came to Owensboro, Kentucky, and I got to be the hometown opener. And, and they said, well, he's going to be on Fox. This is back in the summertime. He said, going to be on Fox and Friends this weekend. You ought to watch him. Well, he watched it. He goes, I sang the national anthem live on Fox and Friends back in June in cool. downtown Manhattan. And, and he watched it. He goes, man, that guy's good. He goes, well, he wants to sing this song, your song, on the Grand Ole Opry with you. It's a dream of his. And he goes, well, you tell him I'm on this Friday and Saturday. He can come on either one he wants. And so <laughs> I, I walked out there, and I, I and John Conley uh, said, John, tell the Grand Ole Opry who you are in case they don't know who you are. And I said, well, before there was the Kardashians and Jersey Shore and Survivor, yeah. there was me on The Real World on MTV. And you could just hear the crowd going, oh, my gosh, now we know who that guy is. That's, That's funny. John from The Real World. And so I went from getting a golf clap to getting – some great applause at the Grand Ole Opry when they finally figured out that I was, you know, I was the Kardashians of the nineties. <laughs> yeah. You're literally the, the country Kardashians. Wow. So I, was, I don't know if that's flattering or an insult, but I'm going to let it <laughs> slide. Right. Uh, flattering for sure. So what was, what was that like? I mean, what did it feel like to, to perform at the Opry? That had to be kind of amazing. Well, it, I was in the dressing room with John Conley beforehand. And I, you know, I'm, I'm walking on eggshells. I want to make a good impression. I'm really thankful because he's been really gracious. And I said, hey, uh, John, do you think that they'll let me stand in the circle out there when I sing? And he goes, well, you just come stand in the circle and I'm going to move out of the way so you can. And he was just so gracious and nice. And so I'm standing in the circle at the Grand Ole Opry and singing, you know, a song that I've cut and has been a number one hit for John Conley, who's a legend on the Opry and just in country music. And uh, it was surreal. I mean, it went by way too fast. And, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, is this real life? I really just sing on the Grand Ole Opry. And it's a dream. I mean, it's a bucket list dream that I hope I get to do lots and lots more. But it was special because my dad used to go to the Grand Ole Opry. And I didn't even know what the Grand Ole Opry was. And my dad's telling me about how he used to go hear Johnny Cash at the Grand Ole Opry. And and then he, um, then we saw it on TV one night. And he goes, this is the Grand Ole Opry. And I said, oh, oh, that place where the barn is. The barn. I got you. Okay, I've seen this. And, uh, you know, my dad uh, was already in heaven when I got to do that. But I got to believe that he got to hear it or see it or something. And that's awesome. And I'm sure he, you know, was as proud as he could be. That's that's pretty amazing. Um, let's see. John, I've got to tell you, my aunt is a massive fan of yours and has a huge i'll say had but to be fair has a a very huge crush on you and she's only like a year or two older than me watching the real world but i on the other hand am from very rural poor community and we didn't have mtv on our basic cable so i didn't get to revisit it until later but uh she sent me a couple questions for you so i wanted to ask um in honor of my aunt who uh who's got a crush on you and is a big fan a couple things she she's just dying to know as a super fan if that's okay yeah uh, uh one of the things she wanted to know did you really have a crush on irene or was that editing <laughs> <coughs> well first of all irene is one of my very best friends and she's drop dead gorgeous so to have a <laughs> to, to have a crush on her would probably be you know very normal but no, they, they, they showed me at her wedding like I was, 
you know, tearing up, kind of sad that she was getting married to some other guy. But in fact, I, w- I was sad that she was getting married and leaving our house because she was the old roommate that I had. But I was really carsick. I had I had ridden there in a stick shift car with my other roommate, Beth, in Los Angeles traffic, which is hideous. And she can't drive a stick very well. It was really jerk. And I was so car sick and just I was about to puke, honestly. And uh, they zoomed in on my face, which had lost all of its color. And I was tearing up and they're like, John has this big crush on Irene. I'm like, whatever. I mean, that's actually a little bit flat. I mean, I tell it's just good TV. So it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't really have a crush on her, but she'd be a good one too. She'd be a good one to be in love with. But um, she's had like three husbands since that one guy on the show. Ah. <laughs> and she's really found her, uh, her her current husband's really good guy and good friend. He's a Georgia bulldog, but we still like him. Ah, nice. Well, cool. Uh, she also wanted to know what keeps you so grounded in your beliefs. I mean, especially I would imagine going through Hollywood and, you know, kind of a lot of the things that you saw there. Uh, do you feel like you ever wavered on them at all? Or were you able to completely stay true to yourself through the entire process? Well... You know, the one thing that the MTV did not count on when they cast an 18-year-old country singer was they didn't realize that when I was five years old, Jesus saved my life. And, um, I, I mean, I'm, on, I'm an ordained pastor at this point, and uh, they just didn't expect anybody that was grounded in their faith. They thought they were going to take me out of Kentucky and put me in Los Angeles, and I was going to lose all of my upbringing and just go crazy <laughs> wild and you know, start drinking and sleeping around and dabbling in all of the Sodom and Gomorrah that happens in Los Angeles. And they found out real fast, even a storyline you can watch about halfway through the season stops being about John Brennan, the country singer. And it starts being about John Brennan. This, this TV guide called me a Bible thumper. And, you know, it was, you know, one of my roommates had an abortion on the show and they're like, John, what do you think about Tammy's abortion? And I'm like, I mean, I love Tammy. I'm I'm a I'm a pro life dude, but I I love Tammy. She's my roommate and my friend, and they didn't expect to see love coming off of somebody. They expected judgment and immaturity and and hatred, and they just they just didn't get any of that. And so, I mean, I don't know what kept me grounded, but I had probably the best mom and dad anybody could ever ask for, and I had a great childhood. You made a joke that you didn't have MTV in your household because uh, you came from a a poor area. Well. We didn't have MTV in my household because my mom and dad blocked it. <laughs> <laughs> Smart so, folks. I mean, yeah, that's the thing that kept me grounded. I mean, and uh, I just I just had a fantastic upbringing full of people that poured into me. And, and uh, yeah, I stayed pretty grounded. People called me stubborn, but, I mean, I am who I am. And you got to be pretty stubborn to be a reality TV personality. I would think. And, and, and the total opposite for me, John, if I had got on there at 18 years old, I mean, it would have been bad. Uh, you know, I would have been completely ungrounded and, and doing all the wrong things with all the wrong folks. So good for you. They got the right man to, for the job for for that show. And, and Well, I appreciate I appreciate those <laughs> words. But to tell you the truth, I, I think that the, they were looking for the other, the opposite. They, wrote, they right. wanted the storyline. Of yeah. John having lost all of his scruples and and just you right. know totally losing his religion, um, to the point where uh, I really don't get asked to do a lot of you know follow up spin off shows that there are out there because they pick those partiers and those kids that are you know jumping in the bed with everybody and I don't act like that so I don't get asked back a lot so you know you say good for me and and definitely stay true to who I am but 
you know, there's a flip side of the coin too, because um, I don't get asked to come back much anymore. Man, that's such a, a sad, good point that, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that they do. And, and that's, I think, true with all the reality shows, right? Like, they don't want the well-adjusted, friendly, understanding guy that's going to make friends and see things from the opposite point of view. They want somebody that's going to freak out and want it their way. And, you know, it's probably, uh, you know, more of a ratings puller. But, you yeah. know, again, the, you know, you represented Kentucky so well. And, and, you know, I think people like to see you know people from kentucky that are a, a positive influence and positive type person because you know they oftentimes see the woman in the curlers at the trailer park during the tornado you know I think, yeah it's a bad look yeah no doubt so, so but good well, for you man honestly 90 percent of the people over the last 30 years have come up to me and said hey you represented kentucky well thank you for you know xyz you look like you were a good dude. You're really, you are the same person on TV that, that we know you as because we grew up with you. And I had one or two or, you know, three or 10 people say, hey, man, you made us look like hillbillies. You made us look stupid. And I'm like, well, first of all, I didn't make you look like anything. They didn't choose <laughs> you. They chose me. Right. And yeah. second of all, where do you live? Oh, you, you live in Kentucky. Well, guess what? Your country. Be proud of it. It's who you are. Right. I didn't make you look like anything. You know, Kentuckians are, are rural people. They're hardworking people. They're blue-collar people. They're awesome people. So if I made you look any way you don't like, then just pack up and move to Ohio. <laughs> well, that's hey, funny, John. too, because – oh, go ahead, Ray. You got something? No, I was just going to say, so you got in on, you know, reality TV in the very, very early days, and, you you know, you keep saying they. Trisden said they. I'm, I'm assuming they are producers. But do you know that history at all? Like, what was the genesis of putting five or seven people together and and let's see what happens? I mean, do we do we credit one person? Was it an idea that an executive had? How did it even evolve? Well, most people don't know this, and it's not really said that much because a lot of people don't know it. But MTV wanted to do a soap opera, and ah. they wanted to do a scripted soap opera. And so they went and hired and consulted with a lady named Mary Ellis Bunham. And Mary Ellis Bunham was a big, big time producer on like Santa Barbara and two or three other big, big soap operas back in the day. And they hired her and said, produce MTV, a soap opera. And she said, well, um, you don't actually have enough money. You don't have the funding and, and, and uh, the budget to do what you're asking me to do. But my business partner is a guy named Jonathan Murray. And he and I have this crazy idea that we've been wanting to do, and it's within your budget, where we do a real-life soap opera, and we choose seven people to live in a house, and it's not scripted. And so it costs way less money to produce, and it's sort of an idea we've been pitching around, and we didn't know where it was going to land, but since this is where we are. So MTV had Mary Ellis Bunham and John Murray create the real world. And to this day, Mary Ellis Bunham died from breast cancer, uh, many years ago, uh, I'm not sure exactly which year, but many years ago. And um, she uh, and John Murray created reality TV and have yeah. won ma many awards. They're recognized. If you would to, were to Google who, who invented reality TV, you'll see Mary Ellis Bunham and John Murray uh, because they are the ones that adapted the idea. That's My understanding is that MTV wanted to do a soap opera but couldn't make it work. And Mary Ellis Bunham and John Murray said, but what about this idea? 
and the real cool. the real world was born and then hence came you know right. all, all the reality stories right. uh, you know you had survivor big brother right. Uh, the Kardashians, Jersey Shore, they even count American Idol and, and, and The Voice and all of those things as reality. Right. And on and on, yeah. John, did anything come your way around that time that you thought, I'm just not going to do that? But, but looking back, you thought, man, yeah, that might have been a cool opportunity. So to be honest, I, I was pretty tunnel visioned. Like, I wanted to take the fame that came with doing that show and come back immediately come back to Nashville with it to get a record deal and be a music singer. That, that was my whole reason. I was 18. I wasn't thinking, you know, this would be a learning experience. Let me go see what I can offer the world. None of that was, was, was within, you know, my line of thinking. Only thing I was thinking was how can I use this 15 minutes of fame? Cause it's going to be 15 minutes. Cause this is a really dumb idea. And it's not going to last if anybody watches it at all. How can I get back to Nashville and use it for my singing career? And uh, I was wrong completely. They've done 38 more seasons of the real world and sparked all of reality TV. The whole genre sparked from the real world. And uh, I got back to Nashville and everyone went, you're 18 years old. Like you have no life experiences. You can't sing country music. Come back in 10 years. And so I did. I came back in 10 years and they said, well, you're, you're 28 years old. We just signed huh. Taylor Swift and Hunter Hayes. We were looking for teenagers. And I'm like, look, I'm about to beat you. And, uh, you know, it's just crazy. But, um, you know, Capitol Records actually signed me, and then they signed Trace Adkins and dropped me. And I just tell everybody, I can't listen to Honky Tonk Badonkadonk to this the very day. I just <laughs> said it to you. <laughs> Tear up every time that Badonkadonks. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I was could. opening. Yeah, yeah, now. But I was opening for big acts, and, and I, I had a little taste of country music uh, touring, but that was because of my reality TV fame. It wasn't because they'd heard any of my music. And so eventually, um, you know, there were new seasons of The Real World, and people forgot about season two, and, and I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't riding that train anymore. And so, um, you know, I tucked my tail, and I stopped doing music, and then I decided one day in the shower that I wasn't done singing yet. Well, I'm glad you're not done singing, John. Um, I think you got a lot, a lot to offer. I mean, that uh, I ain't done singing yet. It's great. Um, another question Thank I had, you. and this was just from a, a clip of the real world. They, did they offer you a movie, or was that? Did that go through, <laughs> and you thought about it, or? Yeah, it was like you a know, film noir something. I, I think what happened, honestly, if I was going to be a hundred percent honest, I think what happened was. You know, there's only so many conversations and arguments that we can have before they're like, hey, we got to have a storyline. So I think they probably went to a <laughs> film production company and said, hey, uh, we need you to create this, you know, offer to our, our country singer to be in this this movie role. Well, so I went in, I met with them. I'm like, dude, I'm not an actor. Like, I'm living on this show because we're reality stars. And they're like, what's a reality star? I said, well, we, we don't act, but... You're considering me for this movie part. Well, the movie was trash. It was a porno. It was it it was it was oh, very no. it was garbage. So I was actually looking at the script. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So, but I think that they might have just created that for storyline, and you know, it's kind of like where reality stops being real and they start creating, uh, 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 you know, because nobody nobody's going to ask me to to do a movie when I'm 18 years old and I have no acting experience, but. <laughs> Um, now you got Trace Atkins and you got Tim McGraw and a lot of people that are, uh, you know, that are, uh, 
acting now. And so Randy Travis had done a lot of acting, but I, I'd be open to be, I'd love to be in movies, but I was in no position to be in a movie and, uh, at 18. And I certainly wasn't going to be in that one, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's when you watch the show back and you're like, was that, was that something that actually happened or something that, that somebody <laughs> created for a storyline? Well, you know what I did? I did IMDB that movie after <laughs> I watched that piece and it looked like it did get made and it was made with legit, you know, pretty big name actors. So I was very curious, you know, how serious that offer was. And if, you know, if it got, you know, if you ever seriously considered it or like you said, if it was something that was even real or more show plot. Well, Billy Burnett actually got the role. Um, I, uh, I, I, I was not the slightest bit interested in it and, Sure. I wouldn't advise anybody to look that movie up and watch it because it's garbage. <laughs> no, it's garbage. It's just garbage. But yeah. um, anyway, I would have been interested in a movie that that had some sort of you know wholesomeness or you know any any amount of morality at all. I, I would sure. I would love to be part of something that was cool. But you know, I'm not going to go from the nice kid on the real world to being in ministry and being a missionary to you know a role in a movie that's you know contributing <laughs> to the. Porno. <laughs> the the garbage and downfall of mankind. No doubt. Uh, was um, what was your favorite and least favorite parts of filming that? I mean, did you have stuff that you really loved and stuff that was just a nightmare? Or, I mean, there was a lot of stress in our house. We were the first person to ask anybody on a reality show to leave an elimination show, like they have now, uh -huh. where you know they eliminate. We actually eliminated somebody when we weren't supposed to. We were supposed to all live in the house, and we we, we asked a guy to leave. That was really, really a hurtful and stressful thing to do. And, you know, you start to ask yourself the question, how am I going to look on TV? Am I going to look bad? Are people going to judge me? What if they edit this in a way that, that, that makes me look bad? And it really messes with your, your, your psychological thoughts and, and – uh, it messes with you. Just honestly, uh, you're starting to realize, hey, it's not just this project. It's not just the stress of living in this house with these crazy people because they're nuts. But <laughs> that's a whole different kind of stress that it'll, it'll go away the minute I move out. But this is going to be on TV and millions of people are going to watch it and form judgments. And they weren't even there, but they're going to watch this as if they were there. And they're going to have, you know, all these opinions about you and I, I got off really easy. I mean, for the most part, everybody's like, yeah, that's John. He's the kid next door. He's a really nice guy and, you know, cares about people and kind of stubborn and set in his ways for sure. But, um, you know, John, John's a pretty good dude. My, my roommates didn't enjoy that. I mean, my roommates got a lot of, uh, you know, just judgment and hatefulness from viewers. And it's like, I can't believe that witch did this. And I'm like, well, you know, that, that's my roommate you're talking about. She might have been you know, hard to deal with one day of her life. And I know you happen to see that on TV and made a whole judgment about her character from it, but you know, back up off my roommate, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's just a really stressful thing to be on a reality show. It's not like you're playing a role where you see me on the street and it's like, Hey, I love you played that villain really well. It's like, Oh, thank you. I'm a talented actor. And when they tell a reality star that you played a villain, well, what they're saying is I hate your guts. You're, you know, I don't like, I don't like the core of who you are. <laughs> that's a whole different attack now do you think that the the way that they've edited obviously now they can sort of manipulate that and i think they've kind of made a market out of manipulating folks to show exactly what they want to show do you feel yeah. like there was a lot of that in your case i feel like we <clears throat> you're not giving them enough to manipulate you in a way that you didn't want to be seen but did you feel like even early on you guys had to worry about that a little bit or was it a pretty fair representation 
both. I'll say both. That's a great question. I think there's this fear because it didn't air until it was over. So you, you didn't know how they were going to edit it or portray you. And, um, yeah, you're thinking back, oh, my goodness, six weeks ago, remember when I called you a so-and-so? If they edit it just right, I'm going to look really bad if they don't show right. the total context. And so um, having said all of that, uh, I think they definitely stereotyped us. I mean, they made it look like I had never left the state of Kentucky. But here's a newsflash for you. My dad was an FBI agent. I was actually, my mom and dad are both from Louisville, but I was actually born in Wisconsin. Um, oh, wow. I was raised as a small child in Phoenix, Arizona, and then Baltimore, Maryland. And then we moved to Pikeville, Kentucky. Okay. And then we moved across the state to Owensboro, Kentucky. Now, my dad, and that's where I say I'm from, because I lived in Owensboro, Kentucky for 22 years. So that's my hometown. But I wasn't born there. And then my mom and dad moved to Lexington. My dad's buried uh, just right in between Danville and Nicholasville. And my brother's in Lexington. And my sister lived up in Florence, Kentucky. I mean, I'm Kentucky through and through. But I've lived in eight different states, and that's not wow. the story they told. So they definitely had a stereotype of this John kid's never left Kentucky. Boy, are his eyes going to be opened. And, uh, you know, that's fine. I'm very proud of being from Kentucky. So when they, when they, you know, pigeonhole me as that Kentuckian country boy, I'm fine with that. I like that. So, but, you know, to be honest, they stereotyped me, and they stereotyped every single one of my roommates. But, um you know, when the show came out, I will say this. The editing that they did was, was it was a highlight, and they're making a TV show, yes. But they really didn't make up a storyline that wasn't there. Everything that they showed in the 22 episodes was pretty much the way it happened. And that didn't mean that everybody loved the way that they looked or everything that they said. But I'd look at my roommates and say, well, I mean, I know you don't like that. I know you don't like the way you are portrayed there, but you did act that way that day. You really did say those things. So... And then when we did this reunion, uh, you know, just last year, um, the producer said, John, you're, you're really you're really guarded. Like, we just want you to open up and say whatever you want. I'm like, look, I got to tell you the truth. Um, I'm, I'm 47 years old and uh, I know that you have this agenda for all of these hot topics, but I'm not about to come back on this um, reunion like like the New York season that just happened. And, and they had this big conversation about race and one of the girls got canceled i said i'm not here to get canceled i'm not here to be controversial i'm here Good for job. you to do an update on what has happened in my life and to push my music and let the world know that i'm still out there as a singer i still wear my hat and i'm still a nice guy from kentucky that's why i'm here i'm not here for cancel culture and i'm not here for you to have great tv i'm here because i want to see my roommates and i want the world to know that i'm still the same dude but they were like, oh, we just want you to, oh, I said, no, you want everybody to get drunk and have a stupid argument <laughs> and make us all look stupid so you can have high ratings. And I'm not here to get canceled. I got a right. life after this. No so, doubt. yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You think about all that stuff and it's like, uh, do I really want to go back on TV and put myself up on the chopping block again? And, you know, obviously my answer was yes, I want to do that. I like being a reality star. I really do. Because when people come up to me and go, Hey, I saw you on TV. That's that's just you're just like that. Actually, you, you look like that. You sound like that. You're, you you have the same personality. And I, I like that because people really when they see me on TV, they really know the real me. And that that's a good feeling. I like that better than being an actor. 
that is really cool. And yeah, I'd say even current reality stars probably not something they get to enjoy because it always seems like a sort of a warp, warped version of of who they actually are. But uh, so was the and I, I should know this bringing you on. But was the um, reunion was that like a one like a one time special like maybe a couple hours special? No, actually, it was uh, an eight episode miniseries on Paramount Plus. Oh, I've got to watch that. Awesome. Well, I don't recommend it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, if you're a huge fan of my particular season of The Real World, then you'll probably love it. Uh, but it's, you know, it's 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 more of the same. It's just third. We're back in the exact same house we lived in, in Venice Beach, California. Well, and we're, cool. they're, they're showing clips of all of the arguments that we had and all of the hot, hot button issues that we talked about and endured. And they wanted our 30-year perspective. And I'm just like, you know what? You can't say the same things in 2021 that you could say in 1993. You'll get yourself canceled. Very true. <laughs> you just can't say it. You can't do it. You can't be opinionated. And the world has changed in 30 years. And uh, sure. what we found out is it hadn't changed for the better. Mm. So 22 episodes, John. How long did that take? How long were you out there? 22 weeks. 22 weeks. Okay. So an episode a week. How much filming would they do to cut it down to uh, production size? You know, they they filmed day and night. And, wow. uh, you know, when I watched the 22 episodes, I, I'm like, oh, but you didn't show and, and you didn't ah. show that. And, and well, you, you missed that whole weekend that we did. And they're like, John, we can't show everything. Right. It's a it's a 22 minute. Back then, it wasn't even an hour long. It was a 30 minute long show with eight minutes of commercials. So you're talking right. 22 minutes. How are we going to do 22 weeks of life in 22 episodes, 22 minutes long each? We just can't right. do it. Right. And so when, when you watch it, you're like, oh, there's so much more you could have shown. And they're like, hey, you want to come to the editing bay and tell us how to tell this story? We can't do it any better than this. And we know there's a lot more layers to it, but the viewers don't. You do because you were there, but we're making a right. TV show. And you just learn to accept that, hey, this is still an entertainment business production. Right. And, uh, you know, when it's like making a record, I, I chose five songs to make an EP. Well, I wanted to record 100 songs, but you just can't do it. Well, you make such a good point, John, on cancel culture. And I mean, being in the media, even kind of low level for me and Ray, it's something you're just always so freaking conscious of. Because, again, if you don't finish a point, sometimes you sound like you're, you know, you're just, oh, my God, we're going to completely be canceled. So it is. Yep. You, you almost have to be conscious of it with, with literally every sentence that, that comes out of your mouth. And, and to that so end, much. is there anything that you said that ended up on air that you were like, if you had one do-over, that you would say, I, ah, I would probably question. not have added that? <laughs> yes, yes. Ah. Uh, and and I'll, just, I'll just be really transparent. And, and I, the, my first thought was to say, yes, there is. But I don't want to mention it on your podcast again. I don't want it out there again. But uh, and you know, first I'll say that anytime anybody in the in the press or a celebrity says something, John Calipari said something, maybe two somethings this past year that he wished he hadn't said. Right. Sure. And 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 he just fessed up one day, and I loved it. I loved his answer because I think it was it was number one. It was right. It was and it was very very truthful. He said, "Look, I'm going to tell you the truth." People throw a camera and a microphone in my face daily. And when people do that, I feel like I've got to say something. And eventually, I'm going to say something stupid. I'm just going to. And I said something stupid, and I need to apologize for it. 
And uh, I won't even bring up what, what it was, of course, if you're Kentucky and you know. But it doesn't matter. The bottom line is when you get a microphone and a camera stuck in your face, you feel this need to say something wonderful. If you don't have something wonderful to say, eventually you're going to say something wrong and stupid. And I give celebrities a lot of grace because, you know, you, 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 they, they put you up on this platform and they ask you a question right, you know, spontaneously when you're not expecting it. And if you say something, there's no do-overs. You're going to be all over TMZ, trust me. And so we got back to the house one night after my performance on the homecoming, and we started playing this game. Well, my, my friend Irene that I supposedly had this crush on was a, an L.A. County Sheriff deputy, and then they merged and became marshals. So she was a law enforcement female officer, and she's since retired. But the question was, okay, after all of these years, you know, uh, we, we filmed that in uh, August of 2021. Well, that was only about a year after uh, the George Floyd incident. And uh, the question was, and I picked it out and I read it and I'm like, oh, it's one o'clock in the morning. This is a can of worms. I'm not going to open. I'm not going to read this. And, and, and she goes, no, John, you read it. You read it. You read it. And I looked at her. I said, trust me, you don't want me to read this question. She said, no, you read it. So I read it. And I said, OK, questions for Irene. As a law enforcement officer, how do you feel about the George Floyd events? And she, you know, went on and on about how that was hideous and it was wrong. And she had seen a lot of mistreatment of, of citizens by law enforcement because she was in law enforcement. And, uh, you know, we ended up talking about race. And then my friend, my roommate, Glenn, actually was telling a story about how he was walking through um, Philadelphia with his black friend. And somebody called him the N word out loud, shouted it at his friend. Well, Glenn's repeating the story and he uses the N word to tell the mm. story. And it's like, no, don't even repeat that word like that. If there's anything in the world that needs to be canceled, it's that word. Like rappers right. don't need to use it. Black people don't need to use it. White people don't need to use it. Country singers don't need to use it. It doesn't need to be anywhere in the world. And he repeats a story, but he uses the word. Well, my black roommate, Tammy, went off. Don't you say that word with your white self. And then Irene says, well, you know, and she's Latina. She ends up repeating the word. And, oh, I mean, the bottom. And we had never fought about race. We fought about everything in our house, but race wasn't an issue. Well, meanwhile, I've, I've been in Africa, uh, you know, for 10 years ministering to uh, African I, and African people. I've sponsored Africans. I've got, I've, at this point, back in Alabama, I had some some black young men that were watching my dogs in my house while I was in LA doing the reunion that I was I was a mentor and a father figure to and Tammy goes John what do you think as a conservative I said look I mean right now I've got I've got black colored kids in my house watching my house and I use the word colored and I didn't even mean I don't use that word to refer to black people my point was I've got people with black skin in my home right now that I count as my sons, which of you have been to Africa and, and helped suffering orphans like I have? That was my point, but it's not what I said. What I said was, I've got black colored kids in my house right <laughs> now. And and I got a lot right. of flack about using, people still tweet me, I can't believe you use the word colored. I'm like, wait, is that offensive? Yes, it's offensive. Well, I don't mean to offend anybody. If anything, I love black people more than you know, more than some black people even love themselves because you guys are using the N word and I don't ever use that word. I get offended when I hear that word, even from a black rapper. 
So I wished I had never said that. I wish I had never said it, offended anybody. I mean, but the truth of the matter is, and I ended up telling, you know, some of my black friends and telling my black roommates, white people don't know what to say to you. We don't know. We don't know what what to say because you're using the N word and we, we you don't want to be called this. You don't want to be called that. I personally don't think that you're African-Americans because I've been to Africa about 25 times. There's not much African about you, honestly, because you're so American. It's just it's hard to know what to say, to be very, very honest with you. It's hard to know what to say that's not offensive. And I just want to share and spread love in my life. So, yeah, I wish I could take that back. I wish I could completely walk that back. I wish I had not even read that question about George Floyd to my roommate that night because it just it blew up and nobody looked good. And uh, yeah, you, you want that back. But uh, it's like we're here to be real and to be raw and to say things. I mean, I honestly think that white males in Kentucky don't really know what black people want to be called, to be honest. And if that's true, then sure. fine. If it's not true, then then don't take offense to that. That's just what... I think so. I'm not representing a state or a demographic. I'm just telling you that to be real on a show called The Real World and learn from one another. I I don't I don't know what what you want to be called because I'm not going to use the N word. I don't even use the word colored, but that's offensive and it did come out of my mouth. It's just so crazy. It's so crazy. You put a camera and a microphone in somebody's what? face. Eventually, they're going to say something that they really don't want to say. Right. Well, it also, John, it sounds like, too, there's a lot of nuance and context there. It, it doesn't sound like you were using the term, you know, as the way that probably if somebody had posted a headline on, you know, social media, John Brennan says, you know, colored folks, as opposed right. to, you know, if you're saying I had black colored, you know, sons at home or, you know, right. people that are, are, you know, that I'm a father figure mentor to. So I think. You know, we discuss that on this podcast so much, and we've, you know, we we try to have some racial talks, and and part of that is is because people are afraid even to have the discussion, and the problem yeah. with that is nobody can grow when it's not being discussed, when we're all scared of it. So it's good to to have the discussion. It's good to be able to make a mistake and say, "Whoa, I see that as a mistake." Right. You know, let's talk about it and, and move forward. So good for you for for owning that and saying, you know, yeah, probably the word, the incorrect word, but to your point, you know, we all, we give politicians so much flack, but if you've got a microphone in front of your face for six hours a day, you're bound to say something like, well, I didn't mean it exactly like that. And I'd love to, you know, to rephrase that, but everything can't be that scripted. No, because when they, when they ask you a question and throw a microphone in your face, they don't give you a day's notice to, to so you can formulate a good answer. It's, you know, right. and that's why so many celebrities and politicians go, I don't have anything to say to you right now because you've given me a chance to not look like an idiot. Right. So I guess yeah. knowing all that, and you did kind of get a bit of a chance to go back and, and redo a bit of your original real world experience. Um, but if you had it to do again at 18 years old, is there anything that you would say, I'll definitely handle that differently or like do yeah, it differently? When when my roommate pulled the blanket off the other roommate and got himself uh, thrown out of the house, I probably shouldn't have gotten down on my hands and knees and did the WWE one, two, three count. <laughs> probably wasn't a good idea. Uh, yeah. I mean, I probably should have gotten a haircut haircut and not had a mullet. I mean, you know, I probably should have, you know, uh, you know, there's so many things that and you're like, Oh, seriously? Like, like that's what you wore on national TV. <laughs> that's funny. But you know, 
it's a show about being real and not not dressing up for the cameras. And so I I have no regrets really about the way that I was portrayed because I mean, there were some things I said and did that I'm like, oh, my gosh, can't believe I said that. But but to be honest, I was I was 100 percent true to who I was. And so, you know, when people come up and they like you make Kentucky look bad, I'm like, look, I represented me. If, if you're a Kentuckian that feel like I misrepresented you, don't be offended. They didn't choose you. They chose me. So, you know, I happen to be from Kentucky, but I don't represent you. True. And I think that's what um, that's what stereotyping is anyway, right? Like nobody represents a whole state. I mean, you try to look as good as you can and, and represent as positively as you can, but nobody represents everybody. So, you know, if somebody right. wants to be an idiot and say 30 years ago, you didn't represent me as well as you could have, the 18-year-old kid, I mean, you know, forget those people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just so, you got to let it roll. You got to have thick skin when you're on a reality show for sure. Man, I, I would think so. And here's an easy question for you. How's Calipari this year? What do you think? Well, you know, everybody has an opinion about Coach Cal and the Cats, don't we? Uh, right. Here's what I always say. Uh, number one, he's he's in the spotlight and he's scrutinized every single play. And if you're a Kentucky basketball fan, and I've lived in Alabama for the last 12 years, so, uh, you know, Kentucky basketball is, this, you know, is to basketball what Alabama is to football. And so Saban doesn't win a championship every year, but he's probably still the best coach that there is. You know, nobody wants to face him. Nobody wants, you know, everybody wants to hire him. Calipari is the same. I mean, it, well, you get everybody's Super Bowl attempt when you play the Cats. And, uh, you know, these kids that are 18 years old and they're superstar athletes and they may not stay very long before they go to the NBA, Coach Cal has to recruit them. He's got to recruit them because if you don't recruit them, they're going to go to Duke or they're going to go to Gonzaga or they're going to go to Alabama and then end up coming into Rupp Arena and beating us. So you want them on your team. So the challenge is, I mean, you got to recruit the best players that there is. So people that criticize his recruiting I, I think you, you just got to ignore that because he's obviously recruiting the greatest players. But when we had Willie Cauley Stein and, and, and we had Carl Anthony Towns, we didn't win the national championship. We had the best team, but we didn't win. And, uh, you know, it, you got to just assemble the best team that you can and then hope that you perform well. But you're not going to perform well every time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's been some disappointing losses, but you're getting everybody's Super Bowl shot. We are everybody's rival. And, you know, we gave Cal a, a lifetime contract because we didn't want him to leave. And so uh, we did that because we thought he was the best out there and we didn't want him to consider going anywhere else. So guess what? You know, that's who we got. And if you got somebody better, I'd like to know who they are. But, you know, I wouldn't want to face Coach Cal. I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Not of every single thing he does, but I'm a fan. I don't like it when we lose. But uh, I'd like to be back in the Final Four and have another championship for the Cats. But... I mean, the grass isn't greener on the other side. Who are you going to get? Who are you going to get? You going to Cal's going to go somewhere else, and then we're going to meet him in the Elite Eight, and he's going to beat the thump out of us. So, I mean, yeah, I defend him. I defend him. You know what? I agree, and I've got some really diehard UK uh, fan friends that are, you know, they're always out for blood every loss. And, you know, basketball's not like football. You're going to mix in a couple bad losses now and again. And I always say Calipari's got the hardest job – in America because he has to do it again from scratch basically every year. He's the best recruiter. 
look, you know, as somebody that, you know, works 20 minutes away from where Cal works, I'll take him forever. You know, I'm, you know, of course, like you, you hate to see some of the losses and you always want them to be, you know, final four every year. But, yeah, better. Great point. Well, I mean, if, if, if you're a sports fan, you know that there's a risk that your team's going to lose. And if you can't stomach a loss, if you can't man up, to some disappointing losses, you need to stop watching sports because that's what sports is. There's always a risk you're going to lose. And, if, you know, Cowboys yeah. fans are crying and moaning, moaning right now. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I am I'm lived in St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm, I'm a Tampa Bay Rays fan, okay? There's some disappointment in that. I live in Nashville now. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Tennessee Titans fan. There's some disappointing, disappointing days in that, okay? Uh, you know, yeah. so if your team is your team. And, and I bleed blue. Doesn't matter if I live in Alabama. I bleed blue, and I cheer for the Cats. I went to the Music City Bowl the other day, and they got embarrassed by Iowa right here in Nashville. But guess what? I'm wearing blue. I'm a Cats fan. When they get again next time, I'll cheer for the Cats. That's cool. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice, man. Um, yeah, as a Reds fan, I can completely relate to that. <laughs> I don't think their Cincinnati Reds have been relevant in quite a while. So, your team yeah. is your team. I mean, yeah. that's it. well, just, into- it's like that's it. Well, man, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. Um, I definitely again want to remind folks if you're jumping into this, please check it. Ain't done singing yet. Uh, you could pick it up anywhere. There's music and or video. <clears throat> check out uh, on YouTube that the Fox and Friends New Year's Show broadcast. You you killed it. It, it was <laughs> an awesome performance. And next time you're visiting your folks, we'd love to have you swing down to the station and hang out in studio with us and maybe perform. We'd love that. Oh, man, I would love to do that. And for all your listeners, uh, follow me on uh, Instagram. I, I got a verified account. It's at John Brennan underscore com. I'm on Twitter. I got a Facebook page. I got TikTok. I got a YouTube page. I got all that. So please go follow me. And uh, and please call your country radio station and say, play that John Brennan, I Ain't Done Singing record. I Ain't Done Singing Yet single because they've got it. It's starting to move up the charts. So call your That's radio cool. station and tell them you'd love to hear it. Yeah, we wish you the best, John. It was a pleasure. A very pleasure Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. Take care. Thanks for listening to Extreme Common Sense with Tristan and Ray. We hope you had fun and look forward to taking on another topic next week. Tristan here with the Extreme Common Sense Podcast, thanking our friends at Berea Pond. We could not do the podcast without the generous support from Aaron and Robin at Berea Pond. And also, my house wouldn't have nearly as much cool stuff without all the items at Berea Pond. So when you're ready for your next furniture, gun, ammo, pallet, they have so much cool stuff, you're not ever going to regret going to Berea Pond. That's Berea Pond at 107 Clay Drive in the old IGA building across from near New Auto Center. Don't miss out. If you're from the area, you got to get into Berea Pond. Hey guys, Trisden here from the Extreme Common Sense Podcast. You may notice Ray's not here because Ray's a lazy bastard. Just kidding. I love Ray, but he's not here. So nonetheless, Dan and Nasa with Bad Wolf Gaming, we appreciate your podcast support, and we hope if you're listening locally, you'll check them out at 711 Chestnut Street in Berea. They've got a full arcade with some gambling things, sort of. So check out the arcade. Check out Dungeons & Dragons, Yu-Gi-Oh! Magic. They're a great place to buy your cards. Don't miss out. Get into Bad Wolf today. Tell them Extreme Common Sense sent you. 
Hello. According to our research, you like podcasts. Well, if you have a passion, mission, or story, you should have your own podcast. And I have a resource you might be interested in. Go to frontportstudios.com slash products and services. You'll see how Front Porch Studios can help you enter the world of podcasting. Again, that's frontportstudios.com slash products and services. Thank you for your time. Goodbye.